many hundreds of years ago, a whole load of very clever theologians got in the room and, and they, they were going to write a catechism, question and answers about the Christian faith. And the very first question that they posed was this. What is the, the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? Why do we exist? And their answer, I don't know how many hours they spent deliberating and thrashing through the answer. Their answer was this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so we sing. You sing as an expression of what you love and who you love and who you enjoy. So let me encourage you, keep on singing. Keep on being a source of fascination to people who don't understand it. Because the more we sing, the more we enjoy, the more we celebrate God, the more intriguing we become, the more like a city on a hill we become, the very kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. So that's a bonus sermon. Uh, let's turn to John chapter 2. Um, John chapter 2, and the title of this message is, Where do you go when the wine runs out? Where do you go when the wine runs out? Someone's going to say the off-license. Uh, where do you go when the wine runs out? So John chapter 2. This is a very familiar uh, story. It's a very, this is like a Mona Lisa text. Everyone knows the Mona Lisa. But if you've ever been to an art gallery, you get different types of people in an art gallery. You get some like me that go, yeah, that's a lovely painting. Look at it for 10 seconds and then move on. And dismiss a lot of paintings and ask why on earth is that in an art gallery. Then you have some that go to the picture with a notebook and they study it for hours. And, and, and you're slightly confused by that, but you know that's seeing something that you're not seeing and it can be frustrating. Oftentimes with the Bible, we have our Mona Lisa texts, which we really love. We like to look at them. Then we have some texts and we're like, I don't even know why that's in the Bible. But all of Scripture is God-breathed. And in all of Scripture, we're able to know Jesus and know God better. So Jesus said, it's actually, it's all about me. But this text is a Mona Lisa text. It's just a passage that most people know, most people love. And certainly if you love Jesus, you love this text. If I can put it like this, for me, it's like comfort food. So when I need to really encounter God or come close to Jesus or feeling maybe a bit spiritually low, this is a good chapter for me to come to and a good text for me to read. Just to remind myself who Jesus is and what he's like. Let's read together. So... John 2, verses 1 to 12. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars have been set there for Jewish purification. Each contains 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the groom and told him, 
Everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's just pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. You are good. You are so good. We thank you that your goodness, uh, your kindness, your love for a wedding is revealed to us in the face of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you you're the same God yesterday, today and forever. The same God who responds when the wine ran out in a wedding 2,000 years ago is the same God who responds to our need when our wine runs out. We thank you that the answer that you provide is so much more wonderful, richer, finer than anything we could produce or make ourselves. So Lord, you know where we're each at here today. You, you know our needs, you know our longings, you know our frustrations, you know our concerns, maybe our dreams and our ambitions. You know where we're at. And we love that we're here together. I thank you, you're in the midst of us. So I pray as we look at this famous, wonderful story of your life, Lord Jesus, would you, by your spirit, stir in us all a greater passion to glorify you and to enjoy you. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I love John's Gospel. The thing about John's Gospel is he writes it very theologically. So you can do a skim read of this story and go, isn't it amazing that Jesus can turn water into wine? And it is. But as you look at it closer, and as you look at the significance of every word and every phrase, even the shocking moments, even the moments when Jesus says to his mum, woman, and you think, whoa, there's something of greater meaning there for us to find. That's why I love reading the Bible, studying the Bible, learning, being taught the Bible, because there's always more for me. So we're going to stare at this picture for a little while. Not too long because it's hot, but we're going to stare at it for a little while, and I hope that we're going to see some things. Now, right at the very beginning of the text, we have a phrase that should immediately arrest our attention, those of us who are Christians, because the first phrase that we see is this, on the third day, on the third day. Why is that significant? Because on the third day, Jesus rose. So we know that's a, re- that's a resurrection, that's hinting at the resurrection. So on the third day, Jesus rose again from a death. So, so those of us that know Jesus and know the story are alert right from the beginning. There's something of a resurrection coming on the third day. The third day after what? Which is the third day after Jesus had previously spoken to his disciples in the end of chapter one, uh, where Jesus says this in verse 51. Then he said, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God descending, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You can imagine the scene as the stone is rolled away. The angels are there. Jesus is resurrected. That resurrection scene. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're going to see my glory. You're going to see, as it were, heaven opened. So that is the is the, the introduction, if you like, to what comes here. Then on the third day, so three days later, 
we're going to see something of heaven opened up three days later. So they're at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Verse 2, Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. I wonder what most people think of Jesus and God out there. What most people think when, when asked about Christianity quite quickly, I imagine the majority will either go to irrelevance or they'll go to religion, judgmentalism, legalism. It's certainly, when you speak to your average punter in the street and say, what do you think about Christianity? Not many people are going, that's the place to be if you really want a great wedding. If you want a great party, become a Christian. I think if you want a great party, don't become a Christian. But Jesus was wanted as a guest at the wedding. And his disciples, so firstly, he's invited. Jesus is the kind of person that people wanted at a party and wanted at a wedding. He got invited. And when Jesus is a guest at the wedding, there's the potential for something special to happen. There's the potential for something of the power of God to break out. Have you invited Jesus into your life? Is he a guest in your heart? Is he a guest in your house? Is he a guest in your family? Does he belong? Is there a seat? Is there a a space laid for him at the table? See, when Jesus is invited, when Jesus is there, there's the potential for supernatural, wonderful things to happen. There's the potential for someone's damaged brain to be healed. There's the potential for paralysed limbs to start moving. There's the potential for people who are stuck in depression to find happiness and joy. There's the, person, there's the potential for the person in deep anxiety to find peace. There's the potential for the person with aimlessness and hopelessness in their life to find meaning and purpose and hope when Jesus is invited. So I'm imagining that many of you would say, yes, Jesus is a guest in my house. <laughs> More than a guest, actually. He can go where he likes. You know, when you have a guest in your, in your home, if you have someone around for dinner, you sit them at the table. You don't expect them to go to the bedrooms and start opening the drawers and the cupboards and rummaging around, right? That would be weird if you had someone around and they did that. What are you doing? If, if they say, I'm going to the toilet and they're still gone after half an hour, you're either concerned that they're ill and you go and find them rummaging around your drawers, you're very offended. But you see, Jesus is more than a guest. If you invite him into your house, he gets to stay. So he's more than a guest. So not only is he invited in, but we say you're, us, you're my Lord as well, which means you get to go where you like. And you get to open the drawers. And if he finds something he doesn't like, he's going to help you with that. Because he loves you. So, so, again, there's just a throwaway question. Is, is he able to do that? Are there any no-go areas? Are there any places he can't go to? Are there any doors he can't open? Any drawers he can't open in your life? Are you someone who people can challenge? Are you someone that others can speak to? Myself? I just want to speak to you about what you said and how you said it, because I love you. So that's how Jesus speaks through us as his church. It's lovely coming where I don't really know people because I, I don't know. I don't, there, might, there might be some for whom it's very difficult to, to challenge and speak to in this room. Jesus loves you too much. He loves you too much. He's going to do that. If you've invited him in, 
he has that. So Jesus is a guest at the wedding, as are the disciples, and tragedy strikes. The wine has run out. The wine has run out. Especially given the context, especially given the culture, the significance of weddings, a huge moment in the community. When the wine runs out, that is a shame on the household and on the family. This is a big issue. This is a big deal. Where do you go when the wine runs out? So Mary, Jesus' mother, is there. She has heard that the wine has run out. She realizes the gravitas of the moment. And what does she do? She goes to Jesus. She goes to Jesus. So where do you go when the wine runs out? Where do you go? Who do you turn to? What do you turn to? I think all of us can say this last year has been a, the wine has run out. <laughs> Hasn't it? And for some of you, more than for others of you. But for all of us, it's been pretty rough. Loved ones dying. Jobs lost. Holidays cancelled. Homeschooling kids. Where do you go when the wine runs out? To the wine. <laughs> to the wine. Or, you know, where do you go? So, so in those moments when you're weak and you're vulnerable, those are the moments, of course, when you're most vulnerable and you're most in need of a shepherd and false and fake shepherds will want to take you somewhere else. Where do you go when the wine runs out? Go to Jesus. Right, so Mary is a brilliant example to us here on so many occasions. See, she goes to Jesus. The wine has run out. She goes to Jesus. Why? That's the question. Why? Because up until this point, this is the first of his signs. So we have no evidence that he's just performing miracles all the time. This is the first of his signs. His, his ministry up until the point... That he's baptised, the spirit comes upon him. His life is very ordinary in the sense of he's not... When people hear Jesus teaching, they go, is this, we know who his, his parents are. This is, this is the son of the carpenter, isn't it? And yet Mary knew. She knew. How? Because she raised the perfect kid. She raised the obedient kid who never disobeyed her. More than that, she gave birth as a virgin to him. She's looking at him and every time she, she puts her eyes on him, she's seeing a miracle. She knows better than everyone else this is a living, breathing miracle. So, and not only that, as his mum, I can tell you, I never received a rude word. He never disobeyed me. He was never harsh. He never slapped his brothers and sisters around. He never stole. He never took. Can you imagine having a child like that? <laughs> Perfectly. So she goes to Jesus because she, she knows who he is. Where do you go when the wine runs out? And then I love his response. So she goes to him and she says, They don't have any wine. Now that's quite abrupt. She goes to Jesus, she says, they don't have any wine. That's quite abrupt. So if my wife comes up to me and she says, the bins haven't been taken out. Okay, I know what she's hinting at. I know what she's hinting at. Now, if I responded to my wife the way Jesus responds to his mother, woman, what does that have to do with me? <laughs> 
Ah, you can imagine what might happen next. Woman, what does that have to do with me? So, so she just presents him with the scenario because she knows that he's going to take care of it. But his response is confusing, intriguing. So, woman, what does this have to do with you and me? Then he says, my hour has not yet come. What you have here is one of the most fascinating theological statements in the Bible. So firstly, the hour, in John 13 verse 1, John 17 verse 1, we have that term again, the hour, but it's, it's all to do with the cross. My hour, my mission, my, my reason for being here, it's, it's about the cross. This is why I'm here. Remember that. Appreciate that this is a big deal. I appreciate this as a crisis, but let's not forget that I've come to deal with a far greater crisis than wine running out at a wedding. I've come to reconcile the universe back to God. That's why he's here. I've come for the cross. I've come for the hour. Why does he have to say woman? At the cross, you might recall, as Jesus is dying, John is before him. He says to him, John, he says, to, he says to, to Mary, woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. Woman. So he uses the same term from the cross. Now, I want to pick up the significance of this from Mike Reeves. And Mike Reeves is a theologian and a wonderful teacher. And I've read all kinds of scholars and theologians trying to get around why Jesus speaks so abruptly to his mum in this moment. Why does he use that term? Why does he just call her woman? And... Uh, this is, the, this is the best response I've seen and, and the one which makes most sense. Um, I want you to think about Genesis. I want you to think about Adam and Eve. Eve gets called Eve in Genesis 4 after the prophecy comes about from the seed of woman will come one who will crush the serpent's head. Perhaps this is why in his Gospel, John, who always loved hinting at hidden theological meaning, records two rather strange moments in Jesus' ministry, one at the very beginning and one at the very end. Twice we hear Jesus speak to Mary, his mother, and call her woman at the wedding in Cana and on the cross. It's hardly the way you expect the perfect son to address his mother. It doesn't exactly exude loving warmth. The translators of the New International Version, feeling awkward about it, added some cushioning, making Jesus say, dear woman, in each case. Problem solved. But perhaps it was another deliberate attempt to make it clear that in the first showing his glory at Cana and in the final dying on the cross, he was the promised seed of woman. But on the cross, he was long expected offspring of the woman finally crushing the serpent's head. Woman. I wonder if you've heard that. As a, I wonder if you've reflected on that verse before. I have, I've certainly. I felt that was so helpful. Woman. We're reminded, going right back to Genesis. We're going right back to the beginning. From the seed of woman. Woman, my hour has not yet come. Woman, I've come to crush the serpent's head. Woman, I've come to deal with sin. I've come to deal with it. You say, look, your presenting issue today, my greatest need today, is overwhelmingly to do with my heart. Is overwhelmingly to do with my eternal destiny and, and my eternal situation. Your greatest, the greatest need 
in Weymouth today is not a full recovery from COVID, but it's a full recovery from sin and the consequences of it. The greatest, the reason why we have COVID, the reason why we have viruses, the reason why we have sickness and we have death is because Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And the only hope we have of seeing death dying is by looking at Jesus. And the only hope we have of seeing the eradication of not just COVID, but of all viruses, is that one day Jesus will return and he'll make everything new. One day he will make everything perfect and glorious. That's his hour. And then I love what she says in response in verse 5. She says, after the quite harsh rebuke, and again, you just wonder if Mary is in on the theological significance. You just wonder if she's, she gets it. But she, she doesn't say, it's awkward, sorry. <laughs> she doesn't go, sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I just thought you might have um, an idea. This is what she says, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. In my mind, that's the best piece of advice in the whole Bible. Do whatever Jesus tells you. I need help. What am I going to do? I need to make a decision on the job. Do whatever he tells you. What house do I buy? Do whatever he tells you. And you think, yeah, but Jesus isn't going to show me the different houses and tell me what to do. No, but he's going to lead you to a point where you are so enjoying God and so glorifying God, you can choose either house, it doesn't really matter. You can choose either job and it doesn't really matter. You see, we present our circumstances, we elevate them in significance. But when we're walking closely with him, when we know who he is and we trust him, we really trust him, we're not pinning all of our confidence and our hope in the job that we may or we may not get, in the home that we may or we may not get, in the partner that we may or we may not get, in the children that we may or we may not get. Because we've come to find that he is our all-sufficiency. He is our all-in-all. He is the one that we love. His love is better than life itself. His love is better than life itself. So she's come to trust him. And so she says, do whatever he tells you to do. Let me ask you, will you do whatever he tells you to do? When you read, the, when you read these words or you listen to these words and you hear the words of Jesus. Because in my sinful nature, there's always going to be a resistance to them. But the grace of God unlocks my resistant heart so that I can be obedient. Receiving his love enables me to trust him and to be obedient to him. Do whatever he tells you to do. Best advice. Best advice in the whole Bible. Just is. I'm not, none of us, honestly, I have nothing wise outside of what I can share from here. This is my wisdom. This is my counsel. This is my truth. This is my rock. This is my foundation. This is what I build my life on. This is how I parent. This is how I do friendship. This is how I do life. It is shaped by this word. Because this word brings me to Jesus. So I do whatever he tells me to do. And so he says... Now, there are six water jars that had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contains 20 or 30 gallons. 
Now, there's an interesting word there. It's the word purification. So we, we read that word and we think, oh, there's probably some theological significance in the fact that these are the jars for purification. What's that? Jewish purification. So this is, you have to wash yourself, get off the dirt. If you're to, to sit down and to pray, you have to be washed and cleaned. It's a, it's a picture of what needs to truly happen spiritually. This is about obedience. These are huge jars. So Jesus says, fill them with water. So they fill these huge jars with water. And then they plunge into it and they drink. Do you see the significance of it? He turns it to wine. So they're drinking wine from the purification jars. The water which was cleansing the, the muck off their feet and washing it away has become a wine which they're now drinking in. And so the purification in the gospel, the purification in the new covenant, isn't an extrinsic thing. It's something that goes into you. So when we take the bread and the wine and we eat it, why do we do that? Because the bread speaks of his flesh and the, the wine speaks of his blood and his blood cleanses me. His blood cleans me. His blood purifies me. So when I say I am washed by the blood of Jesus, sometimes we see, sing these things and we don't know what really we're singing about and it sounds strange, but your soul has been cleansed and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you see a picture of that here, the metaphor of that, filling the purification jars up with water. He turns it into wine. And so truly and mysteriously, you and I are fed by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you think that sounds weird, imagine what it sounded like back then when Jesus literally said to the crowd, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no share in me. Do you know what they did? So this is the crowd after the feeding of the 5,000. They've all gathered again the next day. Thousands and thousands and thousands before Jesus. And he says to me, you come, not because you saw the signs, but because you had your fill of the loaves. And otherwise it's saying, you're here because you want another free meal. So they want the crowd are here because they want another free dinner. And he's saying, you've missed the point. Don't hunger for food that perishes, but for food that lasts. And then he says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Do you know what the crowd did? They all left. <laughs> They're like, this guy's nuts. Eat his flesh and drink his blood. They left. The only people that stayed were the disciples. And Jesus looked at them and he said, are you going too? And, Jesus, and Peter said, where do we go? You have the words of eternal life. They didn't understand his words, but they knew they're the words of eternal life. And then they have the upper room. He breaks the bread, gives the wine. They see him on the cross flesh torn, bloodshed. The road to Emmaus, they break bread with Jesus, they drink and they see him and they realise and everything suddenly makes sense. You and I, our souls, our spirits are fed spiritually, mysteriously by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. I wonder if that makes sense to you. <laughs> it's very confusing. It requires something of the faith, the spirit to, to help you see this and to get this. For me, I find this stuff, I couldn't be more excited right now. <laughs> I love this truth. I love the consistency. I love going through the whole Bible. I love seeing the, the Passover, the Lamb. I love seeing the continuity right from the beginning and seeing it all culminating in Jesus.
draw some out and take it to the head waiter. What God's put in you, he's put in you that you might draw it out and take it to others. What God has done in you, draw it out and take it to others. It's what Mick was leading us into earlier on. Three, three loves that we have. We love God, we love each other, we love the lost. So we love Jesus, so we come to him. We love each other, so we will challenge one another and care for one another and provide for one another, but we love the lost. So the grace that's come to us flows through us like a river in terms of generosity. So we go. So what he's done in you, he's done that you might take it, that you might bless others with it, that others might encounter him. And he is the source of the finest wine. And uh, I would love to have tasted that wine. Mick, you with me? That would have, can you imagine, wine from heaven? And the Spirit of God has poured out on us. And we've been filled with his Spirit. Like vessels filled with a new wine. With the best wine, with the finest wine. The Spirit of God living within us. That was the first of his signs. Many more follow. But I love that it was the first. I love that Jesus chose to make this miracle his first at a wedding. That's my Jesus. That's my King. That's the, that's the God I love. That's the God I follow. That's the God I give my life to. That's my Jesus. And that's the Jesus I want everyone to know. Why don't we stand? We're going to sing a song. We're going to... Yeah, great. Let's stand. I'll lead us in prayer. And let's sing another song. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your son. We thank you for Jesus. When the wine runs out, when we're feeling low, when we're feeling lost, Lord, when we're feeling empty and we are running out of answers, I thank you for Mary's example. Let us go to you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for the simplicity of what she said to you. She just told you what the problem was. She just said the wine's run out. And Lord, sometimes we just need to say to you, sometimes, Lord, we just need to say the wine's run out. Sometimes, Lord, we just need to say, I'm just struggling. You, you don't want us to pretend to be someone we're not. We want to be who we are. And, and Lord, we thank you that you are so good, so faithful, so trustworthy, that you have the response, you have the words that we need to hear. I pray, let these words be the words that we need to hear today. And let us, like Mary, respond. Do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you and trust him. And Lord, I'm certain of this, because I've seen it time and time again, that when I obey you and take you at your word, a miracle follows. A miracle follows. So, so, Lord, we want to see miracles. We want to see miracles in our day. And I believe as your people do whatever you tell them to do, we will see them happen. Lord, I pray that over this church and over everyone gathered here today. Let us enjoy the finest wine from heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Uh, you, you have a, an amazing ability to uh, take what's simple uh, and make it complex. <laughs> and then take what's complex and make it simple. Uh, I, mean, I really feel you fed us so well uh, this morning with what you brought. You know, 
to see a, a passage like that and to get so much out of it, but then to put it back together again and actually get to another, actually, who Jesus is and who we are as his people. Uh, it's just been so good. Uh, 